Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope Church. I'm glad that you're here today. If you're worshiping online, thanks for worshiping with us here. My name is Greg Brady. I'm the pastor of Hope Church, and um, I would love to visit with you if this is your first time here. After the worship service, I'll be hanging out in the foyer, and um, please come and, and say hi. I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Verse 38, um, you can, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab one from underneath a chair in front of you um, or look it up on your smart device. Verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Heavenly Father, uh, your word is a living word to us, and we ask that as we reflect on your word, as we hear it, that you would make it remain in our hearts and that it would bear fruit in our inner being. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to say to you, God thinks you are pretty amazing, what would you say? You might say, oh, thanks, I needed that because I've been feeling pretty low lately and I needed someone to say that I'm pretty amazing. Uh, or you may say, oh, hold on there, Pastor. Um, that sounds like formula for trouble. Uh, that sounds like an open door to kind of this me-first religion. God thinks I'm, I'm amazing and so, um, you know... God must be for all about making me happy and and just telling me how wonderful I am. And I don't think that's what Christianity is about. Well, I get it. I get it. And I'm not talking about some me first religion here. I'm talking about a very God first religion. And I want to I want to point out a few scriptures that point out why I think God thinks that you're pretty amazing. The first is uh, Ephesians chapter two, verse ten. And it says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or how about this uh, scripture from the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may, what? Rule over all that God has created, the, the birds, the fish, the, the livestock, the wild animals, all the creatures roaming throughout the ground. Rule over it, God says. Let me give you one more. This is from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then he gave us a job to do. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And Paul goes on to say that we are God's ambassadors. He has given us good works to do. God thinks you are pretty amazing as God has given some amazing things for you to do. Now, I want to ask a question that um, Phil Bronson asked or referred to just a few minutes ago. How do you know which good thing to do? How do you know what actions you are to do, what you're supposed to do? There's lots of good things to do. How do you know which good thing God wants you to do? And this brings us to, to Martha from our story. And we, we generally have one way of seeing Martha from this story, at least I do, and that's Martha with her apron. There's, there's like flour everywhere, all in her hair, and, I mean, just kind of a dust cloud of flour. She storms out of the kitchen, and, you know, she's, she's out of breath because she's just storming all over, making sure the house doesn't burn down and the, the meal gets prepared because uh, she can't go get takeout. Unfortunately, back in those days, and that may all be true, meal prep likely was the main thing, the main culprit of her frenzy. And we see that she's very comfortable with Jesus. He is a house guest, and she has no problem going up to Jesus and bossing him around, ordering him around. Jesus, tell my sister that she needs to help me out. I want you to notice something about Martha. Martha sees Jesus as having authority. But in this particular scenario, she tries to leverage Jesus' authority to promote her own agenda. I have this amazing meal to prepare, Jesus, thanks to you. And I shouldn't have to do it alone. I really do think Martha was pleased to have Jesus in her house. But it didn't mean work for her. And I think that's kind of interesting because... Mary, too, sees Jesus as one with authority, but in a very different way. Because Mary is sitting attentively, listening to Jesus, what Jesus has to say. He has authority for her. She wants to learn as much as possible from him. From him. Verse 39 says that she was sitting at Jesus' Jesus's feet, listening to everything that he had to say. So that's a posture of someone that is... That is wanting to gain, to glean as much from Jesus as possible. In other words, this isn't some, they're not chit-chatting. Mary is not giving Jesus an earful of the day's events. She's not just kind of, you know, yakking with them. Now, they may have been mutually asking questions of one another, but you can be sure that Jesus was doing the teaching. And nor is Mary... Um, avoiding housework. She wasn't using Jesus as a diversion. And that's kind of the cynical way to think about Mary in the story. Maybe you thought of her in that way. Probably Martha was sitting, thinking about Mary in that way. You know, if Martha's the type A personality, then Mary's the type Z personality. Has anyone accused you of being a type Z personality? Lay Z? Just... Finding 
something else to do so she didn't have to do the the hard work around the house. But I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't have a rebuke for Mary. He doesn't rebuke Mary. Uh, He doesn't say, okay, well, enough of this diversion. It's time for you to get back to work or, um, you know, break time's over, Mary. He doesn't say anything like that. And likewise, I want you to notice this too. Jesus doesn't have a harsh rebuke for Martha either, I don't think. And, and Jesus felt quite comfortable in giving people harsh rebukes, particularly when their heart was not in the right place. And so he would do this with the religious leaders frequently. Their heart was not in the right place. And Jesus had no problem giving them an earful. But he doesn't do that with Martha. At most, I think there's just a gentle... Caution that it gives to Martha. Because I think Martha's heart, I think Martha's heart is in the right place. I want you to look at verse 40. And let's look at what is said of Martha. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him. Ask God, Lord, tell my sister to help me do all the work. I don't want to do it by myself. Tell her to help me. And the the, the word for preparation and work um, it's it's the same word, and it's the word that is that uh, that means service. It's the word that we often translate as deacon. This is real important ministry stuff that she is feeling um, on her shoulders. Ministry for Jesus. I think her heart's in the right place. But there's a caution to Martha here, a caution for anyone who wants to go about their work or, or their service, or both, without taking the time to listen intently to Jesus. And I want to, this caution, I think, is seen in a um, pretty well-known Bible verse, uh, John chapter 15, verse 5. And Jesus says this. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do some things. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Come on, Jesus. I can do something. I can, I can do my day job adequately without Jesus. You know, I can make up a bang-up presentation to my bosses without quiet time with Jesus. I can... I might even be able to do brain surgery or launch some rockets without quiet time with Jesus. You know, I bet you that's been done. I bet you there have been some good, successful brain surgeries and rocket launches without workers doing their quiet times with Jesus. So I think what Jesus really means is you will not have lasting fruit if you are not abiding in me. I think that's what he means by nothing, that, that nothing that you do is gonna, is gonna really last. I mean, we think, oh yeah, it's gonna last, you know, last uh, at least a, a month. <laughs> that brain surgery that I did, it's, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna last a little bit, Jesus. I think Jesus says, uh, you're not thinking far enough. Think a hundred years. Think, think a thousand years from now. I think Jesus is saying, if you are not abiding in me, maybe even some of the things that you think are your greatest work, 100, 1,000 years from now, 
might not make all that big of a difference in the long run. I invite you this morning to to see your life in a very big way, not measured in single years or decades, but to see your life and the fruit from your life as lasting for thousands of years, the fruit that will last that Jesus says you will bear if you abide in him and he abides in you. I think we are all artists in one way or the other. Each of us is creating something. I like to play the trumpet. Uh, There are times when I will practice and practice and practice and practice some more and keep on practicing and practice and practice and finally get a little bit of last practice in there, and I might then play something, just me playing by myself, no one listening. I might play something exceptionally well, and I'll be like, well, that was pretty good. <laughs> and, and, and one of the joys of, of work is being able to say that about whatever your work was that went pretty well. You know, maybe it was that bang-up presentation, and you just kind of wowed your bosses. Ooh, that, that, that was pretty good. Or, or maybe you did some great research, or you, you waded through a really complicated personnel issue at work, and, and, and you, you worked these to a good resolution, or, or, or you, had, you taught a really good lesson, and at the end of the day, you'd say, yeah, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was pretty great. That was pretty great. But the thing is, it is only the Lord who knows what is the fruit that will last. I mean, maybe, maybe my trumpet playing, um, has lasting fruit. Maybe, maybe God enjoyed my playing in that moment. Or may, who knows? Maybe God was saying, Hey, Brady, quiet. I'm trying to listen to Wynton Marsalis. He's playing right now. God gets to, <laughs> the point is God knows what will bring lasting fruit a hundred years, a thousand years from now. He has the, pers- the, the perspective. He has a perspective of what won't really matter, likewise, in the grand scheme of things. He has a perspective of what will bring lasting fruit. And I think this leads us to one of the just super inspiring things about being a Christian. Um, And I want to put it on the screen because I think it goes against a lot of what we learn from culture, culture around us. Uh, this, I, I think this is true about being a Christian. I want you to see this. It's really, it's going to, it's going to rock your world. All right. Here it is. <laughs> Anyone can produce fruit that lasts for eternity. Anyone can produce fruit that lasts for eternity. Uh, we are accustomed to believing, I think, I think our culture teaches us, that you must be great at something in order for your fruit to last for eternity. 
I mean, we all know that Ikea, for example, can, you know, make a pretty good, inexpensive kitchen table. And we know darn well and sure that that Ikea kitchen table is probably not going to last as long as that Thomasville kitchen table. Um, if I'm an expert at my craft, it might last a long time. That's, that's what we see from, from our culture. My DIY art project at home might have a little bit of lasting value in my household, but it's not going to be remembered the way that Monet's stuff is going to be remembered because Monet is an expert at his craft. And we're so used to thinking about that. You have to be an expert at your craft for your, for your fruit, your work to last. And what we learn from Jesus is that anyone can produce fruit that lasts for eternity. How do you do it? To produce fruit that lasts, you need to do the right thing at the right time. That's what we learn from the story. You have to do the right thing at the right time for that fruit to last. So how do you do the right thing at the right time? I want you to think about that question. Back to Phil's question. How do you know you're doing the right thing? Because there's a lot of good stuff you could be doing. One day, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, and the Jewish religious leaders went to Jesus and said, "Uh, Jesus, right thing, wrong time. You don't do that on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, nope, that was the right time. And then he told the religious leaders why it was the right time. And I want you to share, I'm going to share with you what Jesus told them in John chapter 5. Here's what Jesus said. This is why it's the right time. He said, listen, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. How did Jesus know the right thing to do at the right time? He looked to where he saw his father working. He spent quiet time with his father so that he could then see where is my father at work and how is my father asking me to come alongside him and work. So without spending time with Jesus, I could just spin my wheels doing other things that may be good things, but they're not God's Things at the right time. I could be doing important stuff. I could be like Martha, preparing a meal for the most important person in the universe, right there in my living room. And Jesus, at the end of it, could say, you know, that was an amazing meal. I I just didn't need that extent of a meal. It wasn't the most necessary thing at the moment. And I want you to think back, if you can, to last week's story. You remember what last week the, 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 the Scripture was? It was actually the story right before this one from Luke chapter 10. The, the Good Samaritan. And think about that story. Two religious figures, a priest and a Levite, they carried out their religious duties. They thought they were doing the right thing. They just were not doing the right thing at the right time. They saw the half-dead man on the side of the road. 
They thought, I can't get near that guy because I'm, I'm going to be doing my religious duties. I can't defy, run the risk of defiling myself. They elected to preserve their religious cleanliness over showing love for their neighbor. They really thought they were doing the right thing, but they weren't. And this is why pausing for my work, pausing for my responsibilities, yes, pausing from my uh, frenzied busyness is so important. And I think it's no surprise that Luke tells this story of Martha and Mary right after that story of the Good Samaritan. Right after the the story of the failed efforts of the, the religious priest and Levite. See, God wants us to make an impact in the world. He has given us good works in advance for us to do. But if we try to do that alone, we often make a mess out of things. And so what we see is that loving our neighbor and loving God, they go hand in hand, don't they? The parable of the Good Samaritan, that's loving your neighbor, and the story of Martha and Mary, that's, that's how we demonstrate our love for God. They go hand in hand. The way to show love for my neighbor begins. It has to begin by or with demonstrating my love for God. So how do we love God well? Now, we're looking at core actions of disciples. Um, if you've been here last few weeks, you know, two weeks or two, three and four, two or three weeks ago, we talked about the core teachings of Jesus for a disciple to believe. Last week, we went through the core actions of someone loving um, their neighbor. And today, we're talking about the core actions of how do we love God well? And if you look through the Gospels, I think we see Jesus holding up four essentials, four essential practices for loving God well. One is worshiping God. I worship God with my heart and I praise him. And, and Mary, just think about Mary. Mary was not going to let anything distract her from this devotional life with God, for, for, for her showing or revealing her heart to, to, to Jesus. And I want to be here with you, Jesus. The next is turning to God. I recognize my need for forgiveness, guidance, and transformation and turn to God. Why, why was Mary listening so intently to Jesus? Because she believed that what he was teaching her was like life. It was, oh, I need this. Without this, I'm, I'm going to go off in the wrong, the wrong way. I'm turning to you, Lord, and I want to receive from you. Third thing, reading the Bible. I connect with God through his word. Mary listens to Jesus' words. But I think listening to Jesus' words or God's, the word of God almost always is, has this interactive quality to it. Like I, I take Jesus' teachings to, to heart, and then I ask questions. How, how do I live this out? And I, I tell Jesus what is on my mind, and I listen some more. And so there's this fourth essential action of loving God well, and it's praying to God. I connect with God through prayer. And uh, when we do this, I think several important things happen. One of the spending time with Jesus is how Jesus fills us with himself. 
It's how we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. Two, we are changed as Christ fills us. And we need to be changed. We are broken. We are finite. And we need we need him. God never intends for us to do life alone. Never intends for us to do these good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do alone. He wants you to do that through his life in you. And we need to be changed because there are, there. have you noticed this? There is no shortage of examples of Christians who believe they were doing the right thing, but they were actually causing harm because of the manner in which they did things. You know that can happen. We know that we need Jesus changing our hearts and changing us from the inside out as we, as we go about our work and our ministry. And three, when we spend time listening to Jesus, he reveals to us where he is at work and what we can do to be a part of his work. So what I would like to suggest, I would like to suggest a daily time with Jesus. Like you spending time daily with Jesus in an intentional way, that is, that is absolutely necessary in life. We do not live by physical bread alone, Jesus says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I'm going to give you a, just a, this is just a suggestion, a proposal uh, of a 15-minute daily Bible R&R, reading and reflection time. Um, and I want to challenge each of us to try to do this daily. And at first you'd be like, 15 minutes, I can do that. Wait, wait, no, 15 minutes? What, are you you, you, you kidding me? 15, I cannot do 15 minutes. You don't know my busy day. You don't know how my day gets out of hand. Listen, I'm going to give you just two quick stats on 15 minutes because um, I'm an engineer and I like numbers. 15 minutes out of 24 hours, that is 0.0104. Can you give... One one-hundredth of your day to listening to Jesus. One one-hundredth. Can you say, can you, can, can you, yeah, I can do that, right? I can do that. All right, wait, no, no, you're thinking, wait, yeah, you did that out of 24 hours, and I'm asleep for a third or a quarter to, of my 24 hours. You can't count that time, right? All right, so, fine. We'll give you seven hours of sleep. Uh, here's 15 minutes out of 17 hours. Uh... Point zero one four seven. Can you give Jesus fourteen thousandths of your time? Maybe fifteen thousandths. Okay, yes. We can do this, right? We can do this. We can do this. Um, I can make this happen. So find fifteen minutes out of your day. Somehow. Take one minute of every hour and do something different so that you can pile those 15 minutes that you've saved together whenever you want to do it, whatever time is best. doesn't have to be 5 a.m. You don't have to think, man, I am a, I'm not so not a morning person, but you're going to ask me to get up at 5 a.m. You don't have to do that. Just whatever works best for you. It could be in your office. could be in your cubicle. could be in your bedroom. could be in your closet. 
Um, so what do you do with 15 minutes with the Lord? Here's my suggestion. You can change this, alter this, do whatever, you know. But if you want to try, if you don't have any idea and want to try something, try this. Um, daily time with Jesus. One minute. I want you to pray. I want you to turn to the Lord by praying something. Pray something like this. Psalm 119, uh, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And that certainly doesn't take a minute, but just, just a way to kind of center your, your heart and your mind and, and focus on, on God's word. Turn to God. God, I need you to light up my path because if you don't, I'm going to fall into a pit. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to hurt someone. I, I need you to help me stay on the right path. Then 10 minutes. Choose a passage of Scripture and read through it slowly. It doesn't have to be long. Our Scripture today was five verses. Do something like that. Read through it slowly and then write. And I want you to ask yourself as you read through it slowly, ask, what does this Scripture say about who God is? What does this Scripture say that, that I am? And what does this Scripture say how I should live? And and then write. Um, just write down your your thoughts. Imagine doing this from our five verses from today. I did this this this, this week. Here's what I wrote down. Just write stuff like this down. You know, whatever comes to your mind. So I wrote this down. Um, I wrote, "Who is God?" Um, I wrote, "Jesus is the one who invites us to sit at His feet." And listen and to talk to him. He is a very personal God. The Lord is personal and wants us to spend time with him. Who am I? I wrote this. I am one who Jesus values time with. Like Jesus, Jesus isn't put off by me spending 15 times with him. He wants me to spend because he enjoys it. How am I supposed to live? I wrote this as I was reflecting. While I creatively produce things, you know, trumpet playing or whatever, you know, writing a sermon, this is not my whole identity. I am Jesus's friend. How am I supposed to live as a friend of Jesus? Spending time with Jesus. So you, you, you think about those three questions. You write down your thoughts. Can I, can I share you a, just a really cool verse with you? Um, it's from a little later in John chapter 15, verse 15. Listen to what Jesus tells his disciples. And then I want you to think about how Jesus would have told this to Mary. And then I want you to think about how Jesus would tell this to you as, as you spend time with Jesus. I think this is just an, uh, just an amazing verse. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. And Martha approached Jesus, at least in this, this scripture, as a servant. Fine, fine, but not the best. Jesus offers a loving relationship with him, certainly as Lord, but also as friend. And when you sit at Jesus's feet, because he is your friend, he says, I will. <laughs> I will share everything that I have learned from my Father. I will make that known to you. Jesus will make known to you the Father.
a promise from Jesus. So you spend about 10 minutes reading the scripture, slowly thinking about it and writing out, what does it say about God? What does it say about who I am? What does it say about how I am supposed to live? And then spend four minutes praying through what you have read and through what you have written. Do you know the, the very next story from Luke? So, parable of the Good Samaritan, loving your neighbor. Mary and Martha, loving God. The very next thing that Jesus writes about is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray by going through the Lord's Prayer. Isn't that cool? Thank you, Luke, for giving us a roadmap of spending this time with the Lord. And um, so spend four minutes just kind of praying through the Lord's Prayer. And, and, I, and I think you can kind of engage what you just read as you pray through the Lord's Prayer. Um, a few months ago, we, we, we went through the Lord's Prayer and preached some sermons on the Lord's Prayer. And I gave you a little rhyme for how you can think through praying the Lord's Prayer. And you probably slept since then. Um, so, so here's that little rhyme again, going through the Lord's Prayer. God's name, God's place, God's gifts, God's grace, God's ways, always. And so just kind of go through the little rhyme, praying through the Lord's Prayer. Begin by praising God for who he is. Focusing on his name. God, thank you. Thank you for being personal. Thank you for inviting me to be with you. And I know, I know we're sitting here, Lord, together, but I also know where you are, your place. You're on the throne over your kingdom. And I want to commit myself, talking about God's place, and I'm going to commit myself to living for your kingdom. And so I, I want to listen to you and, and hear from you what you would have me do to help you bring about your kingdom. And then I pray for God's gifts. Give us his day our daily bread. Give me my physical daily bread, my physical needs, but also the spiritual needs, the things that I need for me to live the faithfully to you. So give me a humble heart. I'm, I'm thinking this, if I'm reading this story about Mary, give me a humble heart just like Mary had that listens to you and wants to take everything that you say and apply it to my life. So give me a humble heart. And then I, I pray for God's grace where I confess my sins and I rely on God's grace. Lord, help me. I know that I... I can squeeze you out. I can get so preoccupied with things that I, I don't do this 15 minutes with you, but I, I don't want to live guilty. I want to I confess it to you and live in, in your light. And to do it again, I want to recommit to spending this time with you. You receive God's grace and forgiveness. And then I'm going to pray for God's ways, for God's kingdom and power and glory to be <laughs> to happen. God, may your ways be a reality in my life. I want to receive your ways, your ways of goodness, but I want to live your ways. And then I just finish with an always. I want this to happen always, Lord. The kingdom, the power, the glory are yours forever and ever. Um, just one idea for 15 minutes with the Lord. <laughs> When I was a kid growing up, we had family birthday parties, um, and they were great. It, you know, my, my, my grandparents were here, Clear Lake, had some aunts and uncles and some cousins, and we would get together for family birthday parties. Um, 
And it, they were great. And, and what you would do is you tell my grandmother what kind of cake you wanted, and she would bake it for you. And there were two primary cakes that we would choose, really. I mean, there were two. And um, we kind of fought with one another about which one was the best cake. My favorite cake was and is Italian cream coconut cake. Man, I love that stuff. If any of you like bacon, Italian cream coconut cakes, my birthday is at the end of October. But it's just a great cake. And I would tell my family, here's why it's the best cake, because just the cake itself is great. Like just, I mean, you don't even need the icing. Just give me the cake, and it is so good. That's the, the cake is the main part. But then there's the icing. This super yummy cream cheese icing on the top. It's just all. Now, we have a phrase for something that is optional. Uh, something that might not happen, but if it does happen, then it's just, it's just really great. We say that's, that's just, that's just the icing on the cake, right? Yeah, it might not happen, but if it does happen, that's great. I, I, for some reason, I thought about that little corny birthday cake story to say this. I worry that we treat alone time with Jesus like the icing on the cake. Like we go throughout our day, we do our stuff, go to school, go to work, do, you know, all sports and stuff like that. We go through our day, go through, and that's the cake. That's like the meaty stuff. That's the, you know, the solid stuff. And time with Jesus, well, it's it's like the icing on the cake. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, at least we had the, the cake, right? Don't turn time with Jesus into the icing on the cake. Make it the main stuff. Make it the main stuff. It's the best part. It is the part that Jesus says, one thing, one thing is needed. One thing is needed, and it's that. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us to to come and meet with you. And we pray that this morning we will have done that. You are present, Lord. We've, We've certainly met with you, but we pray that increasingly we would be meeting you with humble hearts and loving hearts and grateful hearts and courageous hearts ready now to take what... You have given to us these words of life, ready to take them and live them out and and be faithful with what you have shown us to do. Lord, as we come to you now, we pray that you would make us whole, that we would be able to confess all that we've constructed to be barriers or that serve as barriers between us and embracing you and living out all of your commands and and, and living holy and, 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 and loving lives, we know that you've forgiven us. But um, your grace is not just this permissive grace, not at all this permissive grace. It is a grace that changes us and transforms our hearts. So, Lord, please change us now as we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.